down to the left side. We will survive. It is time to put in this. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogalist, specialist, predator and survivalist. Spinning heaven's fight from his lips. Burn slave driver. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Thought if I get and get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. <clears throat> the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, it's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Catch the live stream there also. You can go to abitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. Catch the live stream there. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon. You you can stream the program live, even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening. Also, that's a fan page on Facebook. On that Facebook search engine, just type in, type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or, or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcast of the various programs on Time for an Awakening. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an, Awark- an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. And our guest this evening is you. Uh, open for tonight. Anything that's on your mind, you can give us a call. We'll talk about it. And you can reach the program by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. 32. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, 
distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human (coughs) geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother 
From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing good. I, I got to stretch out a little bit, even though it's, the chill is coming, so that's fine. <clears throat> you know, and uh, as since we're in open form, always, um, you know, some interesting, puzzling things or things we should call in question that comes to mind here and there. But um, in general, everything is good. Um, yeah, I'll say that. Everything is good. What about you? Uh, everything's all right. Uh... <clears throat> had a little scratchy throat there yesterday, so uh, I guess uh, uh, things coming across pretty clear on this on this mic. Yeah, but, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, the weather's changing, so I, I kind of knew what it was, so ain't no problem. I take enough vitamin C where I can uh, uh, kick it, or I should be able to anyway. But right, right. Uh, everything's cool. Yeah, I um, I was, I, I know we were talking earlier, and. Uh, the, the thing that one of the things that got me and, you know, maybe you can get to it later. But one thing was, you know, soon Biden is supposed to be um, um, uh, what's that receiving a lot of the African um, leaders um, in America. I wonder how that's going to go. But the interesting thing is, I guess we got a new um, a new what is that? The black political establishment has another icon that would be good for the image. And I'm speaking of um, um, Hakeem Jeffries, as I understand it. Now, wait a minute. There's two things I got a question. Um, When you said he's receiving black lead, what are you you talking? Because I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, now the, the black establishment is, you know, we we see that across America's land, political landscape, we have a lot of um, black imageries, right? I mean, what is it? The Secretary of State, the U.N. ambassador, that comes to my mind right off. Uh, I think it was another general. I forget what his position yeah, was. But, yeah, but you said he's receiving them. What are you talking about? I mean, the, the, that they that he's he becomes the speaker of the house, is that what that's the position that he has? Oh, you're talking about Jeffries. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought you were talking about something uh, two separate issues. Oh no no no. Okay no, no. okay. I mean he's he's a new he's a new symbol that in the last what I guess has been growing in the last eight years twelve years but in the last four years, I mean I mean what people will say this is progress. Um, to have a black person head of, of the Speaker of the House, the Democratic House, is that is that his position? Um, you know, that that's that would be a new. Well, but are you saying uh, are you saying this is progress? Because some people listening might get the wrong impression. Believe me, and you've been well, doing, uh, you've been doing this program long enough, Richard, to know that. I mean, are I you mean, saying I, that? I, I, well, well, I'll I'll say it this way. It's, it's, it's to be called in question because we, I can't, um, overlook that 
the, you know, and that's what I think I was saying, the black political establishment, it has grown in the last 50 years. Yes, right? tremendously. Uh, um, <clears throat> now, what's the outcome from that growth? That's where I'm kind of, I'm not necessarily sure, right? Um, and, and so to be clear, I'm saying I don't particularly see if I'm using Philadelphia or or Pennsylvania as a yardstick. I mean, on the ground and the American economy affecting black folks on the ground. Um, I don't see um, growth um, when I look at the indicators. So, um, no, yes, at the national level, we have a lot more political icons. Um, just, you know, they would, I would equate them with entertainers. But what has that, what does that mean for material return um, in goods and services for black folks um, in the present? Or as we project out, I don't see that. Well, I, I totally agree, and uh, I won't have to scratch my head to to know that, uh, or to kind of weigh whether the advent of a tremendous amount of black elected officials in the past fifty years have resulted in anything substantial for the people. My answer is unequivocally no. Now you see this week. Biden throws another crumb to black folks. Malcolm mentioned about, about us getting crumbs from the table, about the caucus being moved from Iowa to South Carolina. Right. Because yeah. uh, that that's what turned the tie for him, for the Democrats, to win that top seat. But... It didn't turn anything legislatively for black people because the three issues that was prominent at that time when they were running in a no particular order was that John Lewis bill, voting rights bill, the George Floyd Policing Act, and the Justice for Black Farmers Act that had been stalled, if you remember. Right. When he came in, he allocated money for the farmers, which they never got. White farmers filed suit in 12 different states. The banks went to Biden administration and said, we're not doing this. And the next thing you know, when this new bill came out, the revised edition, the revision was scratching out that money for black farmers. That was basically the only change in that bill. Right, so right. We, we see that three major issues that was put on the table for this last election was basically blown out the water. So this, this, uh, you know, see, some of our people, they, the only people that benefits from this is that elected class that you're talking about, Richard, that political right. class. They benefit from this. The masses of people don't. And that's what's got to be clear. And that strategy about some voting for president, that's not the political, according to some of the political experts that we have had coming in, come in on this program, and I'm talking about black political scientists, Mm -hmm. They say that taking control of these localities where we can make the most difference is the best way to make any inroads politically in this system while we're here. Those national offices really don't mean too much. And they haven't translated into really anything substantive for the people. I mean, if somebody don't agree, you call up and mention it. 
I, you know, it, it's, 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 but I want to like, play yeah. a couple of clips. Well, go ahead. Finish your thought. because I, don't know. I was just thinking when you said that, because in Pennsylvania, I mean, and, and this is, and I agree with you, um, we have to take, you know, um, we have to deal with whether proportional representation in the communities that we are. But, I, you know, the other thing is that we got a lieutenant governor in, in Pennsylvania, right? Young black, you know, person. Um, what, I mean, should we be asking um, what is going to be the material um, outcome from having these representatives at these different levels other than just them and the network around them? I'm, I guess I'm asking, shouldn't we be asking that question? Well, no, the, I think the demands should be on the table before they even go into those offices. When they're running, there should be demands on the table from the community. Mm. And, I agree. and they're not. I, listen, the demand is always there among, you can go into the neighborhoods among grassroots people, and the demand is always there. And these elected officials know the demand is there. And I'm talking about black ones. They know it. But for some reason, and, and a lot of reasons is obvious, they don't want to address it. Let me, I, I want to play a couple clips in reference to what you just said, Richard. One mm. of them is Hakeem Jeffries. Because... You know, I'm listening to Black Talk Radio, and, and some of them is in euphoria because of him being put in his seat. Now, I'm not trying to be prejudge anybody. All I got to do is look at what has been done in his work before he got to that seat. That judges him. A man, actions judge him. Now, what he'll do in the future, who knows? I don't know. But I know what he has done so far. And what he has said out of his mouth so far. Um, I, I just want to play a, a, a clip in reference to something he said to a, a Jewish pack that he was uh, in front of. And I'm going to read a published report that was in The Guardian in reference to him being elevated to that seat. First, Richard, I want to play a clip, and it was sent to me by Brother Maurice Carr up in New York City. He sent it to me a couple of months ago, and I had been meaning to play it, and I just basically getting around to it. But Charles Barron, who is a council member up there, used to be state representative, uh, spoke with council. Uh, the council almost got the same dynamic as Philadelphia council had when most of the members were black. Uh, I guess New York is similar because most of the council is black up there and the mayor is black. And I think they got a black commissioner, a police commissioner, right? Right. Charles Barron says, I don't know whether, did I ever send that to you so you could hear it, Richard? No, I don't think I heard it. This might be the first time. This might be the first time you were hearing it. Um, Listen to what he said and see if you got most, and Charles Barron is very transparent. The times he's been on this program, He's let the people know exactly what's going on up there in New York and exactly what he's doing. In fact, I mean, some of the figures that he's be spitting out, Richard, I, you know, you wonder why other elected officials don't deal with their constituents this way. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play to you what he said in council. And if you had more black elected officials like this, our people would not be suffering. 
And the ones that can't get stuff done, then you need to become a town crier. Let the people know exactly what's happening. If you can't, if your hands is tied politically, then let the people know exactly what's happening. Call a spade a spade. Don't talk around these issues. And then, then our people wouldn't be behind the hate ball so much. But let me replay to you what he said in council. Listen closely to the issues that he's raising, Richard, because I want to come back and touch on some of those. But let me play this for the listening audience. This is Charles Byron uh, talking to council up there in uh, New York City, and he's a council member also. Thank you. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Certainly the treasure in this budget is not with the poor. The poor are getting poorer. The rich is getting richer. Let me point it out for you. We have a $99.7 billion expense budget, a $94.7 billion capital budget, and $5 billion was taken from that to do some other things, $6.3 billion in a reserve fund, and now $3.2 $3.2 billion more than anticipated from FY 2022. I want my first question is, is that $3 billion can be put on to the $6 billion to give us $9 billion to work with? And while all of that is happening in FY 2021, Wall Street profited $21 billion, and in FY 2022, $58 billion. While just about every agency that came before us, when you deduct the federal money from their budget in 2022, they have a decrease in funding, just about every budget. And you play with terms that it's an increase from the preliminary budget to the executive budget, but just about every budget was decreased in the city agency. That's why it's a conservative Republican austerity budget. Over $2 billion in city agencies uh, suffered pegs, programs to eliminate the gap. Oh, they call it savings. That's what they call cuts now, savings. And as a result of all of that, with the $11 billion NYPD budget and 50,000 offices, to this date, crime is up, according to police stats, 41%. I want to know, have you computed the poverty rate in black and brown communities? Some is 30 and 40 percent. Do you have those numbers? The unemployment rate in black and brown communities is double digit. Some of it's going up. The area median income rate in black and brown communities as it relates uh, to uh, income and that you destroyed the homeless encampments, that was their life, and said you are giving them safe haven beds, which they're rejecting. Why don't you give them some permanent housing? And how are you defining affordable? How are you defining affordable? But you know the real deal is that it's a damn shame that we have this amount of money in one state. That's not counting the $220 billion dollars of the state budget in one state, there's over $300 billion, and we have some of the highest poverty because this budget doesn't 
address that. When you talk about the 100,000 summer youth jobs, look at the year-round jobs for young people. It's dismally low. And when you talk about an agency like DIFTA and youth, all of them are suffering. And if you can't hire people, say, okay, we're not cutting services. We're just not going to allow you to fill vacancies. That's a bunch of nonsense. That will hurt uh, services. We got to look hard on this budget. Our people are dying. The crime is high. Poverty is high. Homelessness is high. We need to make sure that every new development has at least 20, 30% for the homeless and that we have $100 million in the state assembly, which I helped get for not-for-profits to build a homeless, uh, build a housing. This budget needs some serious debate and, and a strong stance by the city council to say, we're not going to just look at our initiatives. We're going to look at all of the contradictions in this budget so that we don't have a bloated police budget and then all of the other agencies are suffering from a serious decrease from FY 2022 because of the federal money running out. Thank you. And we can answer those questions, particularly the poverty rate and unemployment rate, because that's what causes crime. Poverty, unemployment, and mental health issues, not a lack of police. Rigid. Yeah. Now, now, now you heard him. He talked about all of the money that is spent up there, right. and the money was generated. He said it was a six million dollar surplus, six billion dollar surplus, along with another three billion, which is nine billion. But he talked right. about the poverty rate and black people suffering up there in his district. But he just said in New York. And demanding that they do something about it, right? Right. Now, I want you, because he put a question on the floor before you heard the guy say, your time's expired or whatever, you heard that. Right. He right. put a question on the floor. Listen to the response. See, this, this, this is what black elected officials should be about. This is a playbook. I have a lot of respect for the, the brother and what he's doing up there. And that's why the people keep, keep electing him because he fights for the community. I'm going to just kind of reel it back so you can catch it and just catch that in. And then uh, I'm just going to play a little bit of the question that he asked and what was the response. For not-for-profits to build a homeless, uh, build a housing, this budget needs some serious debate and, and a strong stance by the city council to say, we're not going to just look at our initiatives. We're going to look at all of the contradictions in this budget so that we don't have a bloated police budget. And then all of the other agencies are suffering from a serious decrease from FY 2022 because of the federal money running out. Thank you. And we can answer those questions, particularly the poverty rate and unemployment rate, because that's what causes crime. Poverty, unemployment, and mental health issues, not a lack of police. Thank you. Thank you. No, I want some answers. Um, <laughs> we, uh, what we do is I will provide the uh, uh, information 
about the uh, um, the uh, uh, info crime, poverty, unemployment, and mental. Thank you. Thank you. No, I want some answers. Um, we uh, what we'll do is I will provide you the uh, uh, information about the uh, unemployment uh, for breakdown by uh, different uh, demographics uh, as part of my written answer to you uh, because we, I don't have that data in front of me. Right what now. about the poverty rate? Uh, same, same poverty rate for... See, uh, this is, this is why I think this is a disingenuous conversation on the budget because we are the majority in New York City now, black and brown people, and you don't even have the respect and courtesy to come and say, this is the poverty rate in your areas, this is what's causing crime, and this is what our dollars are going to do to address poverty. This is what our dollars are going to be doing to address double-digit unemployment. I've seen some figures on workforce development that is uh, laughable. If it wasn't so painful, I would laugh at the amount of money, 1.7 million and stuff like that. But But for you to come before a city council that's predominantly black and brown and people of color, and you don't even have the poverty rate, you don't have the unemployment rate, you don't have a plan to eradicate poverty or at least reduce it, or a plan to deal with our unemployment and not these dismally small numbers, it's incredible. And the only hope that poor people have in this city is you, city council. It's the only hope, because as you see this budget, and you see these numbers. Oh, by the way, is it nine billion we have to work with, or just the six point three billion in the reserves? Oh, the reserves said about six point three billion dollars. What about the three billion that you didn't anticipate that came in? Uh, that's part of the negotiation with the council. I understand it's part of negotiation, but is that available money plus the six point three billion? Uh, that's money that is the, the, the $3 billion. That's, yes, that's, if you want to look at it as $9 billion, you could look at it as $9 billion. It's not how I want to look at it. It's how it is. If um, it's $3 billion separate from the $6.3 billion, it's $9 billion. It's not how I look at it. That's what it is. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you. Just say yes. That's all. $9 billion, y'all, and we cutting the agencies and not restoring federal money. Nine billion, and only a hundred and twenty million for the violence interrupter teams. That Richard, I kind of cut it there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. It's clear. I mean, it's clear the kind of, you know, it's clear the kind of uh, double talk um, that is happening um, in these in these halls with, with these politicians when you don't have people um, looking out. Um, for the, you know, and he said the majority of the people within New York City is black and brown. And the condition is the, you know, the areas that he's focusing on. And then you get the response, uh, I got to find out. You're you know, supposed to have supposed all that information. You, 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 and you know what? Yeah, you're supposed to. You, I mean, if, your constituency, because I'm assuming even if, you you know, it's interesting and it's important for us to, to understand how these structures are, right? That's the point that you're making about our involvement in local politics. Even if you have a said speaker, you know, a leader or speaker of the House, they still represent a district. 
Now, unless they represent a different type of district, which now you start to see a lot of black political representatives are representing white districts. Um, Representative Barron, Councilman Barron, he still, those two should be having similar challenges because they are dealing with similar constituency groups, right? As far as poverty, unemployment, and and having health issues. So you should, I mean, even if he didn't know in general, he would know based off of his. But because he's the leader of that position, that in that position, he should know citywide those numbers, or at least have them close to him. But to say he got to go look and send it, is is foolish foolishness and can i and, and elliot you know can i just raise the point uh this ain't something that's just new york exactly this is, it's all over i'm looking at an article in in cap and i just black men and the u.s economy how the economic recovery is perpetuating systemic racism now here is it in recent months now this is this article comes out in um, what is that? March of 2022. So we, we're, we're talking about within this year and we're talking about the systemic aspect that affects each city. And this is national numbers. In, rec- in recent months, leading economists have toted that the labor market is recovering from the global pandemic and related, related recession, putting United States on a path reaching full employment. In December 2021, the Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jerome Powell stated the labor market by many measures is hotter than it ever was before the pandemic. In many regards, that is true. Unemployment is falling rapidly, dropping to 3.8% in February 2022, which, while while still above the pre-pandemic rate of 3.5%, marks a historic uh, faster recovery than ever. Workers across all racial groups have experienced larger declines in their unemployment. Yet this economic recovery is revealing the impact of continuing systemic racism, ageism, and ableism on the labor market. Specifically, many black men and older and disabled black men in particular continue to experience persistent gaps both in unemployment and economic opportunity, an economy where black men consistently experience significantly higher unemployment rate than white men cannot be considered as having reached full employment. Likewise, a recovery that does not reach everyone equitably does not bode well for the country long-term. And what uh, Alderman Barron was speaking to well, if you know this is concern and you're going to get more money, shouldn't you be putting more money in dealing with their condition compared to putting more money into police? Did I? Is that what I was hearing him say? Yeah, that's what he said. That's right. what he said. And to add to that, that's what you heard him say. Right. But you heard other black elected officials, including here, uh, Dwight Evans, he's a congressman, and others talking about and and applauding the, the amount of money that they're giving to the police. Right. <clears throat> That's a direct a, a contradiction to what black folks were screaming about 
uh, leading up to these primaries and the election. And I'm not talking about the midterm. I'm talking about that general. Right. After George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and, and uh, Mont Aubrey was killed. They're talking about these killer cops and all this money that's being directed towards police departments. But you hear elected officials touting how much money that they're giving to police. You heard Charles Byrne, and I totally agree that giving police is not going uh, to stop or uh, uh, help what's going on in these communities. And, and you know, the Elliot, poverty rate, the, the, the joblessness, and uh, he mentioned mental health is the issues right. going on here. And they're cutting those agencies and budgets to give it to the police. You know, and, and, and you know, Elliot, and, and, and up in New York, they still had a nine billion dollar surplus. <laughs> right. He you asked know. the guy, "What is it, six billion or not?" Well, we negotiate. He said, "Well, he, what is it? Well, that's what you say." He said, "Well, it, it is what it is. Six. It's nine billion dollars." Boy, I'm telling and, you, 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 uh, you and, see what you're dealing with. And, and Elliot, just to add one more piece, if you don't mind, to where how they are going to, as they talk about police, right? You know, it, you know, because the condition, and that's what um, Alderman Barron's making a point. The condition of this poverty, and what this report is saying in this article, the condition of this economy having systemic racism is causing young black men, men who have disability, not to be able to get employed. That's systemic. And because of that, you got more crime. Now, do you deal with the police? But what I, what I find is interesting, in Philadelphia, the transportation system, in order to use the excuse, guess what they're doing? SEPTA. That's the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Association. is the first major transit system to deploy zero-I solution, which is used by the U.S. Department of Defense, public school districts, and universities, Fortune 500 companies, campuses, and many other organizations across more than 30 states. The SEPTA board approved a pilot during this November meeting. Implementing will begin in uh, approximately two months. Layered on top of SEPTA existing security cameras, Zero Eyes proprietary software will identify brandished guns and alert safety personnel. We're talking about AI system, Elliot. We're talking about an artificial intelligence system, Elliot. That they're that that their money for the same reasons, right? No, they're not addressing the cause, the root cause. They're providing other security or police me- policing measures that is not just in the agency. It's in these other offshoots, and they're using, once again, military. Now, they before they was giving the, mili- the police the guns, and, and they were showing them how to, you know, taking them to, to international countries in order to show them how to do chokeholds. Now they're saying, well, we're going to give them software that we use in the Department of Defense and corporations in order to identify well, what's, what difference is that going to be more than it was when they were locking up on the three strikes or, or you know, the, the, other, um, con- the other policies that are dealing with black men? What difference is that when they have, have the money 
and you have black, more black visible black politicians, and they're not at, they're advocating for the police department, but not advocating for dealing with the root cause of the systemic racism within the economy and within the the areas that they live in, that they represent. It seems to me. I just had to throw that in there. Well, I mean, that just that's that's kind of like the answer to the the uh, the kind of rhetorical question that you put out in the beginning. Their actions mm-hmm. is proving that they're acting in someone else's interest, not in the best interest of the black community, or we wouldn't be in this constant situation. And you know, Charles Barron asked a question when he said about affordable housing, because you see that code word being thrown around here. They're building affordable housing in Philadelphia. Right? Right. Right. Now, I looked up uh, just some cursory information on affordable housing and what they consider affordable housing in New York City and low-income housing in both New York and Philadelphia and what they consider the income level to qualify for affordable housing and the income level to qualify for low-income, which Mm. these banks use. Because, you know, when they get you to apply for this stuff and you put all your salary down and, you they, they, you know, they want to know everything about you, the color of your underwear, everything, they kind of get, you know, a, a gauge on what you're making. Right. Now, right. in New York, a family of four uh, considered uh, is considered affordable housing. The salary base is $106,000. That's mm-hmm. in New York City. And to qualify as a family for low income is fifty eight thousand. Fifty eight thousand, Richard, qualifies you for low income housing. Fifty eight thousand dollars a year. Mm. Now look at Philadelphia because you know it, it's been said that's why a lot of New Yorkers is running to Philadelphia because it's, it's cheaper. And they have a point because for affordable housing in Philadelphia. The baseline rate is 75, uh, close to 76,000. If you round it off, it's $76,000 a year. That's what you need to make. Right. And to qualify for low income, it's a couple thousand cheaper than New York. It's $56,000 here in Philadelphia, as opposed to 58 in New York. So if you're using those salary basis, Richard, most of the, and, and listen, it says it clearly that the poverty rate in Philadelphia is higher than any major city in this country. It's 23%. Mm. Most blacks qualify for low-income housing in Philadelphia. They do. Right. It's clear that they do. Now, your elected officials, they don't have no salary base like this. They don't qualify for low-income housing. Why should the people have to suffer this? And then you wonder what's going on in these communities. All these Nancy Reagan type slogans. These black elected officials go in the community, put the guns down. Uh, come on. You might as well do. What did Nancy Reagan say in the 80s? Uh, just say no. Come on here. These slogans, that ain't going to cut it. The men, these these men are not there helping these women. Some of the men are not there helping these women, whether they're in jail or got some type of difficulties going on. Some of these women got two and three jobs. They're not home raising these boys. Some of these boys are raising themselves. They're out of control. 
It's clear that they are. And it's not a lot of these women's fault because they got to work two and three jobs to keep a roof over their head. They need help. That's what you elect black folks for, to help you. Not to go in there and pander to these whites, special interests in, in other groups, religious organizations. If that's the case, you just keep on voting for these white folks. You ain't going to get nothing out of them either. You know, Ellie, it makes it makes me laugh, and I and I and you bring up these you bring up these topics, and I hope that um, in the time for awakening audience, it, you know, um, it requires us not just to be, um, as you said, started off with in our areas, um, regardless of what we think or what we we do, and and I'm being and I apologize for being arrogant. Our participation is so much required at this local level because. It's it's us that are voting these people in, right? Um, we can't we can't overlook that, and and it, but it's also us who are not being organized enough to take control over these areas and get those resources. Not not just ask for, not just wait for, but demand. I say I say that because um, following the point that you're making about the two and three jobs. And following the point that was made that um, Alderman Barron made about the, um, along with you, about the poverty rate and the displacement that's happening, each one of our areas, we probably can find large segments that are in the same condition. And I wanted to just share again this Pew report looking at Philadelphia's economy. In Philadelphia, inclusive economic recovery from COVID-19 pandemic. Everything starts with COVID now. Like, like we're, we're, this is the great reset, right? Will require a robust increase in jobs, particularly in what economists call middle wage jobs. You just gave out what it costs to get, what was that, low-income housing? Was that low-income housing? Yeah. The amount that the amount it costs? And they're saying in um, middle wage job positions that paid enough to sustain a family and have had historically been available to people without college degrees. The Pew Charitable Trust recently reached research the pandemic impact on the city's economy and found the job losses sustained in Philadelphia were heavily concentrated in industry sectors that paid low and middle wage, and those losses hit black, female, and non-college educated the hardest. In addition, employment locally continued to recover more slowly than nationally, with the the number uh, the number of jobs in this in the city still below pre pre pandemic levels of July 2022. Pew defines, and this goes to your point of how they define um, wait this here, middle wage jobs. I assume you will have to have a middle wage job in order to get a low income, to be eligible for low income housing. Pew has defined middle wage jobs as those paying with, within 20% of the medium city wage. That is from $18.61 to $27.92 per hour as of 2019, or roughly 39000 to 58000 annually. 
by that definition, this is what the kicker for me, by that definition, about 145,000 people who worked in Philadelphia or 23% of the city workforce held middle wage jobs during the five-year period leading up to the pandemic. Leading up, only 100, you know, it sounds almost biblical, right? 145,000. So it goes to your point. Well, who was able to get these middle-income jobs, these middle, these this low-income housing? Who is it targeted for? Now, Philadelphia, I, I, I just throw out the number. You may know more exactly. It's about 400,000 black folks in Philadelphia, and that's steadily dropping. I don't know where we're going. We were, you know, and it, and it may be higher, but I don't know where we're going. But it was, I remember when it was at 600,000 in Philadelphia. Now it's somewhere around 400,000, right? But it's only 145 totally middle-wage jobs. You have said this before, Elliot. That means either 77% is got more, is making more than 58,000 or 77% is making less, less than 58,000. 58, yeah. And how much you said you needed in order to get low income housing? Fifty eight. Wait a minute, I just had it in front of me. Uh, boy, I got this stuff all over this desk. It's I the morning show it was fifty eight thousand dollars, which which is the high end. No, I'm sorry, fifty six thousand. It's fifty eight thousand in New York. In Philadelphia, it's fifty six thousand. That's to get. So you have to be at the high end in order to get to be in considered low, uh, uh, a middle wage to be working as a middle wage worker. But only 145,000 meet that criteria. Now, that's that's not saying 145,000 black folks. That's saying 145,000 totally. So when Alderman Barron talks about the poverty when Alderman Barron talks about the homelessness, when Alderman Barron talks about, you know, the mental, the mental capacity, the mental illness or challenges people have, and you mentioned some women are trying to maintain, and it's not, and I ain't saying just women, but um, two and three jobs to just to make ends meet, and now we're dealing with inflation or food stuff growing in price. I see the stuff doubling in price when I go to the store. What kind of stress is that creating for aspiring young people, black, males, females, aspiring mothers, aspiring fathers? What stress does that mean? And how is these politicians coming up? Do you hear campaign time? They talking about anything that relates to that? No. They're talking about get out the vote like your life depends on. That's all. They don't deal with these issues. They're not dealing with it. Or they'll talk around it with little slogans. But we got to organize. Some of the some some of the in the communities, and we've had people on here that's having political education classes in their community suit to help the people organize and fight against this stuff, because you got a black political class that are not living the same lifestyle that you are. They're just not. They're not really interested. They're interested in you voting for them, 
but they're not really interested in helping deal with the situation. They're not. Because you'd see more progress on that front if they were. Instead of following directives. They see what's going on in these communities and then turn around because Biden told, admonished them when we played that clip on the program about stop telling, stop with this stuff about the police, this, that, and the other, and they have stopped. And they give a blank check again to these police forces all over. Now, Richard, I want to play, before we go to break, let me play this clip when Jeffrey spoke to uh, this Jewish coalition. It was two women that represented this Jewish coalition. And this was last year. And what he said to them. Now, keep in mind that he just went into this new position. Mm. And if you notice some of the key things, and it's it's almost like a common thread among these black communities. You heard the issues that Charles Barron raised. He could come here to city council and raise those same issues. Yep. Unemployment, underemployment, yeah, racism on these jobs, mental health issues. Those same issues can be raised here. It's not the police need more money. It needs more more, more resources in these black communities. Right? Yeah. These other people don't have these issues. So they get black elected officials to work on their issues. And they do it and do it well and come back and give reports. They don't come back and give all types of, oh, I can't get it done, no song and dance. They give substantive results, Richard. Now let Mm -hmm. me play this clip. Before I read this published report that came out a couple of days ago in reference to Jeffries. Let me play this clip. And see, I'm not trying to bash these people. They might be nice guys. Some of the listening audience might be related to them. I know he's the nephew of of uh, 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 Dr. Jeffries. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that these people know, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do for the community. Listen, Richard, you might be a plumber. You might say, well, I know plumbing. I might have a plumbing issue at my house. And we're good friends. I said, well, Richard, come over and do it. And you come over and mess my place up and water's all over the place. You know, come on, Richard. You, you, you told me that you could do plumbing. You don't know what you're doing. Right. Now, that may or may not end our friendship. Who knows? But I'm just saying, you're supposed to know what you're <laughs> hey, look, doing. Ellie, if you ask me to do some plumbing today, you definitely <laughs> will ruin your friend, our friendship. But all, all I'm saying is, it, they listen, it ain't about hating on nobody and all this stupid stuff. You get in a conversation with some of this stuff and point out what these people are doing, then some black folks that don't really understand where you're going, oh, he's a hater, he's this and that. It's not about hating. It's about hating the situation that our people find themselves in and they want help and not getting it. Now, let me play this clip before I read this published report of him at this Jewish group. What they said to him, focus in on what he they said to him and really focus in on his answers. His answers is not, oh, I'm going to try to get this done. Uh, it's Republicans that's fighting against me. You know, all the stuff that you hear when I say you, I'm talking about black people here. When they do get a chance to confront their politicians, which is rare, they rarely get a chance because they don't come to no town hall meetings in their own communities. The only time they come out to a town hall meeting is when they want to rally you to vote, like Obama and several other black elected officials went to these towns and had town hall meetings telling black folks, come out and vote like your life depends on it. 
Other than that, they don't meet with you, Richard, to talk about these issues and what's really going on and how they can solve them. Because it's clear that either they don't know or don't want to do it, anything about it. But let me let me play this clip here. Uh, him at these Jewish group and listen to what they told him. Uh, it's a little lengthy, but I think it's, it's stuff in here that the people need to hear. I'm, I'm going to play this. This is Hakeem Jeffries. In New York and throughout the country, and it's something we're really committed to. Um, in recent weeks, we've put a, we've, of course, had to turn a lot of our attention to, unfortunately, some of the statements that several prominent black leaders in sports and entertainment and in the civic arena um, have made regarding Jews, really inflammatory and painful sentiments. Um, Thankfully, some are working really hard to make amends. And just on Monday, we had Nick Cannon on a platform just like this, um, talking about anti-Semitism, talking about the bridges that need to be built, talking about dialogue. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, what can members of Congress... Now, Richard, uh, you heard this woman say that the black leaders, I don't know how you consider an entertainer or a sports figure, black leaders... Mm-hmm. But they said black leaders in the community, along with entertainers and sports leaders, have made some anti-Semitic remarks. But a lot of them are making amends. Like, I mean, who are you? But but listen to it. That, that's what she said. Now, she's representing this Jewish group. They're having this meeting with him. And you'll hear his response. Really inflammatory and painful sentiments. Um Thankfully, some are working really hard to make amends. And just on Monday, we had Nick Cannon on a platform just like this, um, talking about anti-Semitism, talking about the bridges that need to be built, talking about dialogue. Uh, So I'm going to ask you, what can members of Congress do? What could the Black Jewish Caucus do? And what advice would you give AJC as we try to strike this balance between cultivating understanding while remaining really vigilant about anti-Semitism? Yeah, no, well, I think that that's exactly the right balance. One, understanding um, is incredibly important across the board, but certainly as it relates to the sensitivities uh, that the Jewish community will have, uh, the African-American community will have in the context of um, the circumstances that we've all dealt with in terms of anti-Semitism or racism or oppression. Our view has generally been within the Congressional Black and Jewish Caucus that these shared experiences bind us together. And and I think that the effort at promoting dialogue, understanding, and the historical context pays dividends whenever I've been a part of it. And so I salute AJC for continuing to do that. That's incredibly important. Obviously, whenever and wherever anti-Semitism rears its ugly head in whatever quarter it comes from, uh, whether that's artists or entertainers or the White House or members of whatever the case may be, it's got to be confronted, confronted aggressively and called out uh, for the harm that it can do because words we've seen matter and words lead to, to dangerous and sometimes deadly consequences. That's what history teaches us. Uh, that's what the moment right now teaches us. And so I know at the congressional level, we remain committed to being vigilant and using our collective voices, being seen together uh, to address anti-Semitism, address racism, address hatred, address bigotry, address all forms uh, of trying to divide us whenever and wherever it occurs. That's right. Thank you so much for that. Um, 
I want to turn to another another AJC priority and something else that is, like you said, about the No Hate Act, both um, nonpartisan and something that has the support of the broad American populace, um, and that's Israel. You have been a, a stalwart supporter. You've been to Israel. You've traveled to Israel, supported Israel's right to defense, um, sought to, to tamp down on BDS time and time again. Thank you for that. Um, there are a number, an increasing number, it seems, of Democrats in the Congress who align a bit differently, who may, for example, not understand the threat that BDS poses to Israel and to the hope for a two-state solution. How do you navigate that in Congress and, and in the Democratic caucus? You know, thank you for that question. I have had the opportunity to visit Israel on four different occasions. I was actually uh, on my way to Israel in January you know, to to mark the 75th anniversary in Israel uh, as it was being held of the liberation uh, of Auschwitz. Uh, but Adam Schiff and I were called to a different assignment on the Senate floor. I do look forward uh, to getting back to Israel soon. I had said to one of my colleagues uh, when I was on the way uh, before I got a different assignment that um, that I was going to be traveling to Israel for a fifth time. They said, five times? Isn't that a lot? I said, understand something. I'm from New York City, and in New York City, we consider Jerusalem to be the sixth borough. I'm trying to catch up <laughs> my constituents. Uh, so I do look forward to going um uh, you know, I, I do look forward to going back. In the context of the, the the special relationship between the United States and Israel, which is anchored in shared values, democratic values, and security concerns uh, of mutual interest to both peoples, I believe, and I've said this publicly repeatedly, uh, that the House Democratic Caucus remains strongly pro-Israel. And I think legislatively, uh, we've seen that to be the case, both in terms of our continued commitment uh, to the security needs of the state of Israel as it relates to the security needs mutually of the United States of America, the Memorandum of Understanding, of course, that was executed uh, by former President Barack Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu in 2016, $3.8 billion per year as a House Democratic majority, we continue uh, to put that forward, the 3.3 on the military side, and then, of course, the $500 million uh, in anti-drone, anti-missile, um, anti-tunnel technology security cooperation in the National Defense Authorization Act. Those are all Democratic bills, uh, and those are all provisions uh, and allocations in those bills made without any debate, discussion, division. Uh with incredibly strong support within the House Democratic Caucus. Same thing I would say uh, as it relates to uh, the anti-BDS sentiment. Uh, Steny Hoyer led the charge. Uh, I was strongly supportive of the effort to make sure that in July of last year, uh, within the first year of House Democrats in the majority, we strongly condemned BDS on the floor of the United States House of Representatives with the resolution that was put forward. And I would say that it had overwhelming support, not just in a bipartisan way. That's incredibly important because Israel uh, shouldn't be a Democratic issue, Republican issue, partisan issue. It's an American issue. 
So that bipartisan support continues to be incredibly significant. But if you look within the House Democratic Caucus, uh, where there are about 235 voting members at the time, I believe 17 voted against it. Now, looking at those numbers, it's incredibly important in that uh, every single member of the New Democratic Caucus, the Centrist Caucus, about 110 members voted for the resolution. Uh, about 25 members of the Blue Dog Caucus, you know, the more conservative Democrats, every single member of the Blue Dogs voted against it, voted for it. Uh, and then there are about 100 members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So that means that over 80 percent of the Congressional Progressive Caucus voted for the resolution condemning BDS. And I would point out that a significant number of those who voted against it did so on First Amendment concerns that I don't happen to share, but that the ACLU articulated, and these are members who, uh, in the civil liberty space, strongly and often align with the ACLU's perspective. Uh, and, and, of course... Richard, I'm going to stop there. <clears throat> you notice a difference. This woman that's uh, in the, uh, one of the officials over there at that American Jewish Coalition... Talk to her about two, two specific issues. One mm-hmm. of them about black leaders and entertainers and, and uh, sports figures making anti-Semitic remarks and what he has done about it. Not what he's going to do, what he has done about it. And then he says what he has done about it. The other one was his undying support for Israel. And he laughs about it. He's been there four, five, four times. He wants to go back again and this and that. And he represents Jerusalem and uh, the Jewish members of his area. And they want to know exactly what you've done in reference to Israel. That's what she said, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes to, in detail how much mm-hmm. money that was allocated for weapons, for bombs, for tunnel, anti-tunnel munitions, this, that, and the other it's really specific. Don't you notice a difference there? And I'm just being rhetorical. When they talk to you, it's always a talk around. It's similar to when I just played with Charles Byrne. When the man asked him about the poverty rate in the black community, nobody knows nothing. No information. <laughs> How are you going to discuss these issues? You don't have no information when it comes to your own people. Or people that constituents up there that's supposed to be represented. This man gives specifics to these people about what he's doing. He's not giving song and dances about well, I'm trying to do. We, I, we, we're trying. We, he said, "Listen, we didn't put this bill forth with no problems." And then he he really got specific. Richard talking about you know when we had votes, we had some of the traditional Democrats, we had the Blue Dogs, and some of the new ones, progressives. They, he had a whole, I mean, it was detailed, Richard. It was detailed about what they're doing. That's why the people are so pleased with his work. Now, let me read on the tales of that. That was last year, Richard. Let me read this published report <clears throat> that was in the Guardian in reference to him being elevated to that position. Check this out. Uh, the header is Hakeem Jeffries likely elevation set to please U.S pro-Israel groups. Hakeem Jeffries might be about to make history uh, 
with his elevation to the Speaker of the House. The progressives of New York, excuse me, the progressive New York congressman widely expected to lead the Democrats in the House of Representatives will be the first person of color to head either party in chambers. Jeffrey's election as House Minority Leader in the new Congress in January would also see the baton pass to a new generation of Democratic leaders. As Speaker Nancy Pelosi steps aside, the change will be a profound uh, one. The prospect of Jeffrey's headed, heading the Democrats in the House has been greeted with delight by hardline pro-Israel groups, increasingly alarmed at the growing dissent in Congress over Israeli treatment of Palestinians, including large-scale force removals of Arabs from their homes, which is only likely to intensify as Israel far-right gains power. Now, it says here that the prospect of Jeffries heading the Democrats is greeted with delight by hardline Israel groups. Now, if that doesn't mean anything to black folks, then, I mean, they can wave the pom-poms, jump up and down, and cheer. Let me finish up. The former Democratic congressman, Robert Wexer, told Jewish Insider that the pro-Israel camp needs someone just like Jeffries to take us into the future. In fact, I would say, If the pro-Israel community wanted to create a Democrat leader of the future, it would create Hakeem Jeffries, he said. Mm. Hakeem is not just interested in these issues. He's devoted to them. He's respectful of the American Jewish community. He identifies with it. He's just a really nice guy on top of it. Others who defend Israel's policies have praised Jeffries in similar lavish, excuse me, other who defend, excuse, yeah, yeah, I was right. Others who defend Israel's policies have praised Jeffries in similar lavish terms. The congressman has just an, uh, now let me go down here. In 2020, Jeffries told a conference of the U.S. largest, most powerful pro-Israel lobby group, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, that uh, back home in New York, we consider Jerusalem to be the sixth borough. The relationship is anchored in common values, he told the meeting. Jeffries opposed a bill introduced last year by another party member, Betty McCollum, to ensure that nearly $4 billion in annual American military aid to Israel is not used to illegally annex Palestinian land or to demolish Arab homes or forcibly remove Palestinians. Jeffries told AIPAC that aid should be continued with no conditions. He signed a letter drawn up by the Democratic Congressman Ted Deutsch opposing, reducing funding, or adding any conditions on security assistance. The letter was signed by more than 300 members of Congress uh, and boosted by APAC's lobbying campaign. So we see here, Richard, that these people don't give lip service to other folks. They come back with substantive results. Substantive results. And letting you know who voted against it. 
Now, when some of these things pass by and pass Congress, they don't come and tell the black public, well, I voted this way, but so-and-so voted another way. They don't do that. Mm. In fact, you a lot of times you got to search up how they voted. Look how they're dealing with these other people as opposed to how they're supposed to be dealing with their own. It's a total difference. This is what we're trying to get people to understand about these elected officials that we have and what we need to do to move forward. Yep. Now, this is these people's feelings on them. This is not me saying that or trying to bash them. This is what they're saying about them. This guy said, and let me read this and let it sink in uh, 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 to the Time for Awakening audience or supporters of any of these people. He said, in fact, I would say if the pro-Israel community wanted to create a Democrat leader for the future, we would create Hakeem Jeffries, he said. Let that sink in. Mm. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you, we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. We got some calls on the line and we'll get right to you <clears throat> after the break. And you can do that by down 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. abibitumi.store is here for you. 
A B I B I T U M I Black Power A B I B I T U M I The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family to join your interconnected commit to you black communities escape the digital plantation now abibitumi.com abibitumi.tv abibitumi.tv.com abibitumi.store we are here for you escape the digital plantation a new era a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years to a struggle for genuine equality and this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far people were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality do you think white people in this country and i'm talking about non-segregation as people devoid of thinking they're devoid of racism do you have any idea of what they want the negro to be in america i think the vast majority of white americans uh will go but so far it's a kind of installment plan for equality and uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh to go but so far and know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money a few of us got positions a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down no one man can rise above the condition of his people see brother said responsibility is it is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table the power that's in our community the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in america we have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda thank you. whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power one of the time honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who have achieved recognition but look at raft bunch Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young, but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sorted piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated. humiliated not being able to fight back as a form of severe punishment i come here tonight and plead with you believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody as i said to a group last night nobody else can do this for us no document can do this for us No Lincolnian emancipation proclamation can do this for us. No 
Kennesonian, our Johnsonian civil rights bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-asserted manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 822 in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. We're in open forum this evening, and you can give us a call. You got any issues you want to talk about? You can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Richard, um, before I go to the phones, let me read this uh, article I saw in the uh, New Observer. It's a Carolina newspaper. Um, <clears throat> it's stated... Durham official headed to Israel on government-sponsored visit of black leaders. It says a member of Durham's city council is traveling to Israel as a part of a delegation of African-American leaders. Durham's mayor, pro tem, Mark Anthony Melton, is set to arrive in Tel Aviv on Sunday for a week-long trip. I plan, uh, me and my colleagues, to make it clear that we, uh, that Durham embraces all people and calls for justice and liberty for all people, particularly black indigenous people of color around the world. Middleton said at the last city council meeting. Middleton, a Christian minister, told the New Observer, in light of the rising anti-Semitism, he hopes the trip will foster communication in Durham when he returns home. The itinerary includes tours of the holy city of Jerusalem, a visit to the Yad Vashem, uh, Israel's largest Holocaust memorial, meetings in the Knesset, the Israeli Parliament, and briefings at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. This delegation, co-sponsored by the American-Israel Friendship League and the Government of Israel, says Ruby Shamir, AIFL's Executive Director, which is the American-Israel Friendship League. The AIFL's mission is to increase Americans' understanding of contemporary Israel. Shamir declined to share the full list of participants uh, before getting their permission. In 2018, Middleton met with local Jewish leaders across the political spectrum after the city council sparked controversy through a statement 
against militarized police training that mentioned Israel. Now, Richard, this young black mayor from Durham is being taken to Israel. Mm. Young black mayor from Durham City. That Durham is not a major city in this country. That might be considered a medium-sized city. That's not a major city in this country. Mm-hmm. But he's taken there by the government of Israel. That's not the United States. That's a, that's a foreign government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the itinerary includes visiting the holy sites, in Jerusalem, a visit to the Yaj Vashem, their Holocaust Memorial, meetings with the Knesset, the Israel Parliament, and briefings at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. <laughs> All because of state, some, some statements were made about in city council about militarized police training that mentioned Israel. Mm. That mentioned it. So now he's going there. Uh, Maybe when he comes back, he'll reveal to the black community what was stated to him. (laughs) What do you think, Richard? Listen, Hakeem Jeffries said he'd been to Israel four times, and he was wanting to go for the fifth time. You think he ever came back and told his constituents he don't represent Israel, even though he said he did. He, he said created he did. the barrel. He said he did. He's supposed to represent Israel. Uh, uh, excuse me. He's supposed to represent uh, uh, folks in, in Queen, wherever he's from, Queens, Brooklyn. I don't know. So you mean to tell me that he didn't come back and tell his constituents what the meeting, uh, what those meetings? Because he's been there four times. What it entailed with a foreign government? You think this mayor in Durham? He might. Who knows? He might. But you know, you I know hope black I hope black folks that live down there and do him, put it on a scorecard. Confront this man. He just went Sunday, so he'll be there till next Sunday. When he comes back, and plus he's a councilman, confront him about what is going on. He was a former councilman, now he's mayor. Confront him about what is going on. Why would they call you over there? What do you do? what I mean, I don't even understand the correlation there. Do you, Richard? No, but you know, I had, it, it brings something else to my mind, Elliot, in relationship to what the group that you read before said about Hakeem and what we, I don't, the lesson we have to take and we can't overlook it. You know, didn't they say to Hakeem, if we wanted to create somebody, there was something to that effect? Yeah. It would be somebody like Hakeem. Well, they already did. Right? Well, here is a young... He ain't going on his own. They are, the state of Israel, are paying for him to come. If I understood that, the way that report read. Yeah, and wait a minute. It says, as part of a delegation of African-American leaders. But when this... Yes, but when they were confronted from this uh, observer news observer about who is the rest of the delegation 
They claim, uh, uh, wait a minute. They declined to share the full list of participants before getting their permission. Come on. Huh? But the, the point is that they're, the, the, the thing is, using the example of the Hakeem, um, this mayor, young mayor, and we've seen other people, and, and, and going to the point that you're saying in relationship to how we need to manage, um, manage our own communities. Cause he's a mayor. He's a local person. That ain't, that's not a congressperson or a senator. That's someone who's at, uh, come, who is elected locally. Yes. And you said out of a you know, who is now engaged in international relationship. <laughs> But the international puller that is cultivating, utilizing this here thing that they always use, is cultivating this new political leader, right, is the same approach they said they got a congressperson who is now the, this was it, the Democratic leader of the House? Mm-hmm. Isn't that, isn't that influence? Yeah. Isn't that influence that been cultivated not just four times and bragging on five times, but also in relationship to in his own mind? He said in his own mind. I mean, I don't know if the people within his district said that they have considered that a borough. I don't know if the people in his district who voted for him said that they voted for it to be considered as a borough. He said in his own mind. He's considering it as a barrel. That's a cultivation. I'm just saying, Ellie. And, that, and wait a minute. That, that means he represents them. That means he right. represents them. Right. Okay. He created that in his own mind. But the point is, and the lesson is, and we and, and we could talk about them all we want. Isn't that what we supposed to do? Shouldn't we be calling them? And was not even calling them as you raise the report, and I and it comes out of the local paper. We said, like, well, wait a minute. What do you, is that all you going to do? Is visit museums and go to their congress? What does that mean to us? Shouldn't we, at the local level, have that kind of independent unit? outside of the Democratic and Republican Party saying, what are you doing and what are we getting out of it for you doing it? Shouldn't that what be black folks be doing? Because <laughs> what we get out of it is more police training, militarized training to control us in our community. What we get out of it is funds not going for the needs that we have, funds going for the containment of us because of the lack of the need of satisfying the needs that we have. And I'm saying needs in the sense of, as Brother um, you know, um, said, about dealing with poverty, dealing with the unemployment, dealing with the health issues. These are the needs we have. It's going there, addressing those needs. And I would assume in Durham they have the same challenges. Uh, you know what? Uh, before we go to the call, you, you talked about the uh, police training. I know you saw that article that it was approved by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors oh, yeah. to let the, the police use these killer robots now. So if black folks had a problem with police killing them, now they're going to have the killer robots. 
that's going to be armed to do that. See, before, I think it's claimed here that they were, let me read this. Police spokesman for the, a spokesperson for the police said the robots uh, will be equipped with explosive charges and other fortified structures containing violent, armed, or dangerous, to contain violent, armed, or dangerous suspects. And it, and also, it says the robots could be used to incapacitate or disorient uh, armed or dangerous suspects who pose a risk to life. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and the homeless aspect in, in, in San Francisco is off the chart from what we hear. And believe me, if it has passed in San Francisco, you know how stuff goes around this country. It's going to pass in other places. Same thing with this here, what's happening on a transportation system with this AI, what is really just facial recognition, which means creating a database on everybody. I mean, it ain't preemptive. It's got to scan everybody and then identify. <laughs> Let's go to call uh, 267. 267. Yes, uh, Brother Richard and Brother Elliot. Um. I'm going to go from New York politics to Philadelphia politics, if you don't mind. And um, uh, the importance of Adam Clayton Powell during this time period is so unique because in the message of the black man, Elijah Muhammad said, if any politicians you would vote for, it would be the model of Adam Clayton Powell, who, of course, his father had the black church and the power of the church in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, to a certain extent of the 60s. Adam Clayton Powell was groomed to take his father's position and become a politician. That worked for the black community, straight up. Okay, And he always talks about his writing. He has a book called Adam by Adam. That was an autobiographical work. He wrote another book also. He always talked about the influence of a Marcus Garvey when he was young, his father had the church, and he said people looked at Marcus Garvey and they misunderstood him. So him black, father, prior to him was the minister. He took the father's church over. He breathed, ate, slept, and rest with black power and black politics. That's why him and Malcolm were very good friends, and he's older than Malcolm, of course. But he could swing with the Muslims. He could swing with the Panthers, and he could deal with the black church. Now, I'm going to swing this back over to um, a while ago, Richard, had a conference on education and discourse, and you, you came. And I had Dr. Fred Burton. I had Dr. Calvin Robinson, right? When he was living at the time, my mom spoke, a few people spoke, you said stuff. And I thought about a Hakeem Drexfries, and I thought about a Dave Richardson. See, you could look at a Dave Richardson and see who his uncle was, Calvin Robinson. <laughs> you know, and you could see Dr. Ed Robinson, and you see what Dave Richardson became and who he was before he left the planet. Another one of our soldiers who was in black power and 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 was in the midst of Harrisburg, but he kept him divided because he didn't vote and think like they did. His power was out in the street. 
It wasn't Harrisburg. He knew that. He didn't pass much legislation because they didn't agree with what he did and how he thought. But he held his own because his constituents continued to vote him back in. Richard, you and I, not too long ago, in a couple of years, was Dana King has a charter school, certain parts of Philadelphia. And she invited uh, Dr. Jeffries. And um, he ta- if, you don't, if you remember this, he talked about his nephew, Hakeem, and the, and the Afrocentric names they had. Because he was saying that a lot of people were thinking that they were Muslim. He said, no, I'm Afrocentric. And I thought about that, and I see where Hakeem's at today. I said to myself, he's not influenced by his uncle's politics. And I said to myself, interesting, because he's known in New York, Dr. Jeffries. He's not liked by Jews. Now, nobody I've said yet heard that they talk about his nephew and the relationship with his uncle. But that girl who recently got on the Supreme Court, they questioned her when he went to Harvard and spoke. They had a problem with her going to Dr. Jeffrey's uh, lecture. They said, are you influenced by that man? See the difference. How just because you're raised around somebody doesn't mean you actually think like them. And they put this guy under the microscope. If they said he, they feel he would represent them, they separated him from his uncle. That's interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Now I'm going to swing it to the politics in Philadelphia. Elliot and I talk about almost been four years, Elliot, because it, it went that fast. And we got all this reputation of black people being elected in Philadelphia in these seats. And they said, oh, wow, we got enough black people now to get the nine votes to get what we want in the community. And I said, wow, we're going to see where, where that's going. Well, you know, Richard and Ellie and your audience, they gone. It ain't no nine votes now. Okay? You got Sherelle is gone. You have Green is gone. Right? Well, Sanchez, I consider a person of color. She's gone. Right? Now, my thing to you, before they got there, were they thinking about the community? Were they thinking about the community that they had to go like that? You mean to tell me that the ideas that you and I thought they could have done, they abandoned, and what did they come there for, and what was their reasons for leaving? Because right now, where we at in Philadelphia, with city council, with the neighborhood being gentrified, the educational problem, with uh, the economical problem, violence, whatever, whatever's going on, you got people that you don't even know how they got there and what they're going to do. But the ones who have left, how sincere were they? And I'm, 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 now they talk about Kenny. We know Kenny said he's tired. Okay. So what's the next move? Who's going to do what? And look where we're at right now. And I'm looking, I'm looking at locally and other cities and other states. Because you could, ha- like you said, I heard you, uh, Brother Elliot, that you could have a person black. That don't mean they're thinking that way. The direction that we're going in Philadelphia 
and what is going on politically. Even with Krasner, I'm saying to my point that these people, this white supremacy is local like it is, like it is federal, but they want, they want white supremacy to be strong, even if they feel as though a white person is being fair. They want to remove that and keep it where it's at because this city and the direction it's going, I doubt if we see a black mayor if he's black, and I think we're going to see more pigmentation of white folks running this city. And guess what? It ain't half and half no more. It ain't, it's creeping up to them. And we had a chance. We had a chance to do a lot of things. We had good, we had street, and we had another. And look at where we're at now for where they have been and what they have done. This is where we're at right now, politically, economically, and socially in our community. The lack of business, the lack of unity, and the lack of black leadership. Any comments? I'll listen. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you preach it to the choir. I think we've been talking about that uh, so far this evening and been talking about it in the past. We have. We have. And like you said, like you said, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the direction where we at. How are we going to get out? How are we going to get out of it? And where are we going? And this is a unique program. I mean, you see people like us get together and talk, or something, building in the street, stuff like that. It's unique. Now, do you know anything about this Africa town that they're talking about? You know anything about that? Yeah. Africa town where here in Philadelphia. You know anything about that? I know that Sabor was, uh, uh, Brother Sabor, before he made transition, was kind of pushing uh, to have that over there on Woodland, Woodland Avenue. But I don't know if any, you know exactly what you're talking about, Richard? Yeah, and it's and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good case study, and to the point that you're making, um, for um, black, black Philadelphia, you know, because, um, well, you know, in that area, that is now being designated as Africatown, as you said, Brother Elliot, that community organization, you know, they had as a part of that economic development. But at the same time, you had this city council person, ex-city council person, um, create a commission, the Caribbean African Commission, um, that was to help in supporting a kind of relationship between local um, African-Americans, um, um um, not just business people, but the different communities, the, the Caribbean community, African community, and the um, African-American community. Um, I, I, I feel a little uncomfortable, um, you know, um, brother and, and Elliot, because I'm very critical about us, right? I'm, I'm very critical about, as you, you laid out, with the political leadership, about our le- leadership, I'm very critical, and I'm talking about the black community itself, because what you see is that the African community, they have layers of organizational infrastructure that you've seen at that commission that a black city council who who was the wife of one of the fierce city council persons in that area, that Brother Sabor in that neighborhood community was um, who brought up the idea of that strip 
being a strip that would have um, businesses or at least what's that outside businesses running up that corridor. They, that she put that commission together and primarily those Caribbean and African organizations, the Ethiopian, the Nigerian, the Liberian, they came not as individuals, they came as representatives of organizations. So when you look at the area of that strip and you look at the development to the point of Africatown, that you've seen those African businesses start to be developed up that area. When you were speaking, when Brother Sabor and them, they were trying to get African-Americans who could be able to set up on, re- on a regular basis um, vending up that a corridor. That was the design that they had. But in, in the city, as anywhere, as we've seen, we even talking about Jeffries, is when you're organized to where you say, I'm going to bring you in, cultivate you to represent me, not the people that you're supposed to represent. Then they can vote you in, but I cultivated you to represent me. So I'm critical about the African-American leadership within our neighborhoods, within our districts, and within our political um, organizations, they do not provide the kind of strategic vision of how they wanted to and be integrated and have organizations that were being advocates. Because when I went to those meetings at that commission, it was always more Africans and Caribbean representatives at that monthly meeting that they would have. They ain't saying that there wasn't no African-Americans there who created some business relationships, especially with the continent. But I'm saying there was not um, a, a, a you know contingent of saying that we were going to take a business district like 52nd Street or like that district that they or Wood, Long Woodland Avenue and develop it in our own interest. I didn't see that. So that uh, that's my reaction to it. But I'm, you know, I'm aware, as Brother Elliot said, Brother Sabor brought us, you know, in and made us inform of what they were doing. And I knew what um, before that, even what um, council at that point, council, councilwoman um, Blackwell and putting together that commission, what the intention was. But I also know who was attending those meetings regularly from the African-American communities. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your contribution, bro. Thank you. Let's go to 602. 602. Uh, yes, brother Elliot and brother Richard, brother Marcus here. Good evening, good brothers. Yes, sir. You know, um, years ago, I used to live in New York City, and I used to work at a homeless men's shelter and um, a little island, or whether they call it Ward's Island, was uh, it was run by valid, Volunteers of America, VOA. And, you know, that shelter housed 1,500 men, predominantly black men. You know, so you know, if you have 1,500 black men in one place, that's a volatile situation. Anyway, at that time, 
that was in the early 90s, they were paying $120 a client. The, 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 I think the federal government was giving the valid case of America $120 per year per client. So you do the math. And that was in 19, early 1990. So I'm quite sure that that went up, you know. So millions of dollars they were, you know what I'm saying, to, to house homeless men. They could have took that, some of that money and built um, new housing or even upgrade because, you know, a lot of those projects, you know, they are empty, you know. A lot of those projects you see in New York, ain't nobody living them. They're vacant. But they don't they don't care. They don't want they're not interested in in in, in, in um rehabilitating anybody. No. They they put you over that island there and they, they keep us over there, you know, they stay off they stay over there and they 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 fund it but you know it's just chaos and confusion no no type of um program to help those men get rehabilitated it's just to house them feed them and that's it you know so you know they they, they don't care it's just clean don't care about black people so when it comes to these jews these jewish people here See, the Jewish people, you know, they are our big, some of our biggest enemies, but they come posing as our friends. See, so they are, they, they are so attached to us, or we are, we are attached to them. You know, NAACP, CORE, Urban League, all these prominent black organizations are financed by Jews, you see? So we in a precarious situation with these people because they they lock themselves to us. They are they are they are, the, they are well we call a parasite. That's what a parasite is. A parasite need a host, and they, when when they split, when the parasite split, he's split into two parasites. So he just keep. That's what we have in our community. That's what's sucking the blood, the life, blood out of the black community. These Jewish people keep black people in a holding pattern in America. They're only, you know, these people are only 2% of the U.S. population. 2% of the U.S. population. The guy, what, uh, Sullivan, Jake Sullivan, he's Jewish. Blinken, he's Jewish. The whole, the whole, <laughs> his administration have is in. And you know, years ago, elder said this to me. He said, you know, these Jewish people, you have to watch them because they will create animosity between America and Moscow, so they can destroy each other, and then he'll emerge as the, the victor. They are not our friends. They are not our friends. Never have, never been, and never will. You see? And some of these preachers we have here uh, going around saying, oh, these people are the chosen people of God. We need to take something and knock them in their head, too, because they are the ones who, who perpetrate now this foolishness let black people say, oh, yeah, they are God people. Don't, don't, don't say anything about them because they are the chosen of God. So if they are chosen, you ain't chosen. 
black, if you, you know, the black folks they chosen them, you know, so look, man, I mean, I'm just sick and tired of them, you know, my, my good brother there, Dr. Tony Martin, he know how to deal with them, he knew how to fix their business, the last book he put out, the Jewish onslaught, they run, they don't mess with him, so you got to know, you just got to know really what to say to these people. But they are parasites. They, they, you know, they, they stick on to black people like blue. Suck your blood. Use you as a buffer between the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and himself. And they rob everybody else. They rob both sides. They can because they are able to move freely into the white community. And over here, they say, "Oh well, we are friends. We have been oppressed together, so we'll work together." Man to hell with them people. Anyway, you take care, good brothers. Thank you so much for letting me speak. Thank you for your contribution, brother Marcus. No problem, Richard. Yes. Before we go to the next call, I'm listening to uh, Marcus, Brother Marcus, and uh, if you remember when I played the clip when uh, Jeffries was talking to the representative, I don't, I don't know her position. I got to look back at the tape and find out what the position was, but it doesn't really matter about her position. She was representative of the American Jewish Coalition. He said that uh, my, if you remember, and I, I'll have to hunt it up on that tape. But I, I know you recall, he said, my relationship uh, with the American Jewish Coalition has paid dividends. You remember that, Richard? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that was a Freudian slip. I don't know. But uh, uh, I don't know what type of dividends. Right. That's, his, the, that's the thing. His, mm-hmm. his, 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 his uh, relationship has been done for the black community. That's who he's supposed to be representing. The majority of his representation or the voting people that voted for him is black. But he said that his relationship, he didn't say the black community, he said his relationship with them has paid dividends. Mm. So maybe maybe there was a Freudian slip. I don't know. Let's go to uh, nine, uh, 215. 215? Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? How you, I'm doing fine. Hey, Brother Richard, how y'all brothers doing tonight? Good, good. Uh, praise be to Allah. You know, um, uh, Brother Marcus, who preceded me, was right on point. Everything Brother Marcus said was right on point. I'm going to deal with Marcus' comments as I go along. But, but Brother Richard, early in the conversation with Brother Elliot, you mentioned about black leaders and, and them not, I guess, I, I, I forgot how you worded it, Richard, to the extent was that they don't look out for black people or whatever, because I think y'all done with, with, uh, with um, the brother up in New York, uh, Brother Barron. Well, see that, and, I, and, and basically what I got out of what you and Ella was saying, Brother Richard, is that it's just, we go back to that clip that Minister Farrakhan had played, y'all played by the minister, where he says, these people don't, they don't, they're not the watchmen on the wall for our people. They don't look out for black people's interests. They never do. I mean, like, if you, I mean, how the hell are you going to sit there and say that you're representing black people, or you're supposed to represent a black constituents, and you're talking about some you 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 pro Israel. I mean that don't even sound right, man. But see, they they bank on our people being unintelligent. You know that's like Brother Marcus said before me. You know you got black people and their religious ignorance or biblical ignorance. They actually thinking this is this is the thing. This is what keeps a lot of our people from from dealing with white supremacy at its core. 
because it has an effect on our people, especially our people that's not learning. You got black folks right now, and thank God it's maybe not as large as we used to be, thank God, because more and more our, our people becoming more educated. But you got black folks right now, the reason why they don't come out strong against white supremacy is twofold. They look at that white Jesus and stuff, and they actually think when you go against uh, 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 white people, you're going against uh, God because they think that white people are some gods because they look at that picture that white people put as image of Jesus. And, and I'm saying they contradict their own belief system because when you look in the Bible, their own King James Bible, who they claim that they live by, it says right in the Bible, I'm just using common sense. You could be a dumbass and, and, and understand la English language where it says clearly in the Bible, their Bible, who they swear by, it says that Jesus had skin of brass, hair like wool, like he was burnt from a furnace. Well, it Anybody with common sense, Richard Nelly, know that don't describe no damn white man. I mean, that's just common sense right there. But because our people are so scooped by this white Jesus and stuff, they, they don't even look at their, they don't even believe what they say, what they see in their own Bible, man. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And then we look at the Jewish thing. Like Brother Marcus preceded me again. You got black folks because these handkerchief head, pork chop eating menaces, they walk around thinking that this white, these white folks, are some chosen people of God when the only thing they chosen for is to go to hell. But they actually believe that because they, they, they actually think that's why I've heard, I've had brothers in the past tell me, Joe, I know what they're doing over there to our Palestinian brothers and sisters is wrong. I know what they're doing to the Ethiopian Jews is wrong, but we can't, we got to accept that because they are God's chosen people. I say chosen that like hell they are. That's like I told the brothers, they chosen to go to hell. But see, when you brainwash like that, this is what you think, man. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a fact of life, man. This is what our people, into, into that brain, Brainwashing is, is, is taken care of. You want to have some of our people with that kind of mindset. And it's dangerous, man, because it keeps our people, like Brother Marcus said, like in a holding pattern. Or, or Brother Timmel, I think may have said it as well. A holding pattern. They, they, these people don't care nothing about us. They, 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 and, like, and Brother Marcus hit the nail on the head. These white Jews have, 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 have perfected the art of playing black people for a fool. For example, like I told you on many shows, they white when it's convenient, and they Jewish when it's convenient. And they both, when it's convenient, see that, like, like Brother Marcus said, they can get around in the white world because they're white people. They look like white people. But they're smart enough because of their white Anglo-Saxon Gentile brother don't like them. So what they do, many of these Jews over the years have cut their names down. They went from being Silverstein to Silver, Goldstein to being Gold. You know what I mean? That way they blend in with white society. I mean, they play, they play both ends against the middle and stuff, man. They do it, they've been doing it from day one. You know what I mean? And, and it's about, and more and more people getting wise to it. So this is why they come out with, with all these you know, victory attacks on black people, especially these young black athletes and entertainers that speak up because they know sooner, they know the, the lead, they know it's coming after them now. So they know that, that, that the gig is up. So they do all they can to try to maintain that brainwashing that they do to our people, man. This, this stuff is deep, man. This stuff is deep. And I'm sitting there listening to that clip, Elliot, that you played of Jeffries, man. I'm, I, it almost made me throw up, man. I'm like, and you notice, if you notice, Brother Richard and Brother Elliot, not one time did Jeffries or them white Jewish ladies have any empathy or any kind of humanity towards the Palestinians. Everything was Israel. Nothing about how these Palestinian people are being mistreated, how, they be, how their children are being displaced, how their homes being torn down, how they live in, uh, in such an inhumane condition. Not one word of empathy or sympathy for Palestinians. And just as uh, the black man, it's, it's, it's sad to see him. I expect that of the white person, the white woman, because like I said, white woman is just as cruel as a white man is. But you're supposed to be a black man with some humaneness, and you talking as, as, as cold as they talk. And see, but see, I hope again, again like y'all said to um, 
brother uh, uh, Tim. See, we see. I learned a long time ago. I learned this a hard way. Because somebody's related to somebody, don't mean nothing. The, sure, he may have been, he may have grew up around his uncle Leonard Jeffrey's ideology, but that handkerchief head Neil got a mind of his own. It don't mean a damn thing. He could have been he could have been sitting in lectures growing up, listening to his uncle speak and stuff like that. And, by, and, and, and don't you find ironic, Richard and Elliot? Think about this for a minute. His own uncle, Lenny Jeffries, you remember back and Dr. McIntyre pointed this out in Brother Cobrano when it was on the other week. He was viciously attacked by these white Zionist phony ass Jews. He was attacked by them himself, his own uncle. I bet you that nigga support that. I bet you somebody brought up to that nigga to this day about how your uncle was accused of being a, a Jew hater or anti Semite. That handkerchief head, Hakeem Jeffries, will probably agree with everything they said. He would dish his own uncle to, to set aside these white Jews because he's a Negro. That's what he, I don't care about him being a nice guy. He's a Negro. And he, he showed that. He showed it time and time again. And it's no different than the other Negress, uh, Dr. King's uh, niece. She, that Dr. King is a biological uncle, but she runs over there supporting Reagan and Bush and Trump and all of them. She's a Negress. So just because these people are related to these, to these iconic figures don't mean they think like that. Like I said, Hakeem Jeffries could have grew up sitting at the, at the knee of his uncle, listening to all his lectures. But when these Negroes get out there, bro, they got a mind of their own. And so, so you know clearly he, where his head is at, man. And, 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 and uh, that wasn't no fool and slip either about they paid dividends. He, he knew exactly what he was saying, brother. I knew he was being rhetorical, but he knew exactly what he was saying. That wasn't no falling slip. When he said pay dividends, I'm sure he wasn't necessarily talking about no stock dividends. He was talking about the dividends to be a Negro, to rise right on up in the, in, the, in the white man's ranks and stuff like that. He's the perfect Negro. It's no accident why the Jews and the white man pretty, pretty, pretty much said if we could create a leader, black leader, it would be Hakeem Jeffries. So when he said they paid dividends. He knew exactly what he was talking about. That wasn't no falling slip. He's the perfect Negro, and he's going to do Israel's bid. As, as now that he's a, the House Minority Leader, and probably in the next uh, election for Congress, when if the Democrats get it back, he'll probably be the majority. He'll be the Speaker of the House and stuff like that. So you know, that's the most powerful person in Congress. Whether you think he's a handkerchief head and a, and, and a flunky for Israel now, brother and sisters, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know what I'm saying, L.A. Richard, you haven't seen nothing yet, brother. <laughs> and it's the old saying, you ain't you haven't seen the tip of the iceberg yet, man. You know, I mean, that look. These Negroes, man, I'm telling you, man, we 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 are in a in a in a, in a, in a sad situation in this country because we got black leadership that don't represent us, man. They tell us openly that they don't respect us, man. I mean, think about this, Ellen Richard. You're supposed to represent black people, but you say you got Eric Adams. Think about the, the roll call. Okay, with the time for listen to this, to understand the roll call. You got Hakeem Jeffries, Ralph Wardock, Eric Adams. You know, these Negroes t- don't get behind your back. They tell you to your face, we support Israel. And they may be unapologetic about it. Why their own people catching hell? Why black people being mistreated, getting shot by the police? Brothers out here killing each other out of, out of ignorance and self-hatred and, and, and lack of jobs and resources. And these niggas, Negroes can get up and tell you they support Israel. Think about what I'm saying, Helen, which how insulting that is, you know? Yeah, well... <clears throat> I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's just, I mean, when you get to the very core of it, it's insulting, man. While people catch that, and, and, and I'll close with these last couple of comments so somebody else can get it on. As we speak right now, but uh, it's one positive you could come out. I don't know if you and Richard heard, but the Black Panthers and us, they having a reconciliation. They've been meeting over the last month or so, you know, solving the differences. And that's a beautiful thing. The see these organizations that have had some hostilities in the past come together. But Dr. Karenga and members of the Black Panthers, they're settling their differences now, which is only 
bodes well for the black community. You know, that's definitely a good thing. And the, la- and the, and the last couple of things, and I promise, Ellen Richard, I get off. As you as you know, Brother Elliot, the show there is no justice for black people. Now think about what I'm saying, Elliot. And I want you, Brother Richard, and Brother Elliot, the time listeners, listen to Brother Joe very carefully. Not this is going to shock y'all, but it just shows you that our people get no justice, and they show you the punk ass, sorry ass black leadership that we got on the city, state, and federal level, especially at federal level. Now look at this white boy, this punk white boy, Rittenhouse, the other year. He went to there doing the George Floyd thing and killed. Three people, one white, two white people. I mean, I think you killed all white people. Killed what? Two white men, maybe a white woman, whatever. I know he killed two or three people. Police treated him as a hero. He went to a, a got tried, and matter of fact, they weren't even going to arrest him. Too. People complained. They finally dragged the sorry ass to trial. He got acquitted, and now he's been hounded as a hero, and in, um, in, 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 in white society. Well, check this out. In Baltimore, Maryland, about maybe a month, I guess, because the final court had an article about it. You had, now they always tell black children they try to do stuff positive, but we had a group of young black men, they, they was what you call squeegee workers, Elliot and Rich, I don't know if y'all are familiar with that term, squeegee. Well, these brothers, young boys in age from like 14 on to about 17, whatever, they, when, 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 stars, when cars would stop at red lights in Baltimore, these young brothers were asked could they wash their windows down, you know, with the, with the stuff, my, no, and these brothers were making good money. They said on a good day, Ellen and Richard, these young black boys can make anywhere from like uh, $200 on a good day. On a bad day, they can make $90. I, I, I like to make $90 myself on a bad day anytime. But anyway, these brothers would make this, and they were doing honest work. Well, this white man who happened to be six foot three. See, you some big white man, he, in his racism, because he's seen these young black boys, he, he they, these boys weren't even bothering him. He drives, he, he drives all the way back around. First, I think he went around the corner. He comes all the way back around, Elliot and Richard, to confront these young boys, and, and, and some words was exchanged, and he said, I'm going to kill all you effing whatevers, and he pulled out baseball back. He confronted these young men. So one of the boys, the 14-year-old, 16-year-old, I think at the time he was 15, he had a gun. Now, he may have not been legally uh, carried a gun. I don't know. They, they, didn't, they weren't clear on the, in the article whether they should have had to go anyway. They, he's swinging the bat, and, the, and the, the films don't lie. The, the tape don't lie. You can see this white man swinging the bat at these boys and stuff, trying to hurt them. And he hit one of the boys with the baseball bat. So, so the boy that had the gun, the fifteen year fired a couple of shots, and he shot the white man and killed him. This boy now, not only is he being going to be, he's a, at the time I think he was 14 or 15, he's being charged as an adult. They was trying to, even the state attorney general, the sister Marion Mosey was saying, this young man should go to juvenile and should be tried as a, as a child juvenile, where the white judge, of course, said, no, he's going to be tried as an adult. Now, it's clearly that, that, that this young man had a right to protect himself and stuff, because this white man was clearly threatening over a baseball bat, but yet in, yet in the Rittenhouse case, a man that was unprovoked going to a, a, another city with a gun across state lines, he kills the people, he gets acquitted, he's a hero, but this young black boy, they want to try him as an adult, and this is a pattern, Richard and Elliot, that's been going all over the country, they try these young black men as adults and stuff, even young black girls being tried as adults, while these white, grown white people can kill people, do all kinds of stuff, and they get a slap on the wrist, and again, our sorry-ass black leadership 
bishop is not saying that congressional black caucus should be raised a holy hell about that, but they don't do nothing because they go back with the tip, the clip that you and Richard play, uh, uh, Elliot. They not watchmen on the walls. They don't look up for our people, man. They're so busy kissing these white Zionists behind in Israel, they don't even look out for their own people, man. They're disgraced by this young boy gonna get, can get railroaded like many other young black people get railroaded. These Negroes come from, they play pro-Israel. I mean, again, it's insulting, man. I mean, we got any sense of pride, Elliot and Richard, and I, I, I would like to believe we as black people do. These Negroes should be ran out of town on the rail. They go for Hakeem Jeffries, Raphael Warnack, and the rest of them. And I, and I close with this last point, Elliot. When you talk, cause you, then when you first came on, you mentioned the George Floyd bill, right? And the uh, John Lewis voting rights bill, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. I close with this, Elliot. Part of me, and I hope Brother Ralph is listening, because Brother Ralph has some good conversations. Part of me hope that Raphael Warnock wins the election. I'm going to tell you why. You might say, well, Brother Joe, what you mean? You know I know difference between Warnock and Herschel Walker. Of course it's not. I, I get that. But I'm going to tell you why. Because finally, even the most cynical black person who always want to make excuses for this racist political system to do a damn thing for black people but abuse us, they can finally see when nothing gets done. I heard your president, Joe Biden, say on the news, on the, on the, um, a news report the other, I think it was on one of the cable stations where Biden said, "Well, I'm hoping that 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 that, that Senator Warnock can hold on because if we get this is this is President Biden's exact words. So if anybody think I'm lying, get the tape. This is what Biden says, Elliot Richard. He says, "I hope Raphael Warnock can win his hold on to a Senate seat because that would give us a clear majority." And I guess he caused some taking a swipe at Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema because Biden went on to say this. He says, because if Raphael Warnock can, 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 can hold him to a seat, we have a clear majority so, 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 so nobody can block us from doing the things we can do. So you got the president, Ellen Richard, already saying that Warnock wins. Basically, they don't need Kristen Sinema or Joe Manchin's vote. All right, okay, now you know that as a barometer. So my point, brother, and I close with this last point. So in, so in the George Floyd policing bill, and the John Lewis voting rights bill and the black farmers who, was, who has been shit on pretty much, if, if, if things is not made right for them, and it is clear, think about what I'm saying, Brother Ellen Richard, if it is clear Democrat majority, so if they don't get these three things passed for black people, then finally black people can stop the BS and say, well, you know, it's just these bad Republicans and stuff. But we, 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 we all know they're the same people. So, so if them three bills don't get passed for the benefit of black people, what's going to be the excuse then, Brother Ellen Richard? What is the excuse going to be then? But they, they can't use Senator and Max as an excuse no more because they don't need their votes no more. So they, like I said, if, Hershey, if, if Warnock wins, they don't need Max and Senator. So if they don't get these things passed, Brother Elliot, I want you to tell the listener audience, what is going to be the excuse then, Elliot? And I close with that note, okay, Elliot? Thanks for your comments, bro. And keep me on mute, brother. LA. Thanks, thanks, good brother. Thanks, brother Richard. All right, sir. Mm-hmm. Richard. Yep. The um, you know the the, uh, the brothers raised some good issues, um, but to kind of turn the subject to a solution, because there is clear solution out there. Uh, you mentioned to me and uh <clears throat> private conversation we had earlier about um mutual aid societies and what they were doing mm-hmm. for black folks early on. See, it's nothing any different. The only thing different now is the mindset. Those same things can be done now. And you as a person that move around the city you know enough 
young people or people of a certain age that are out there doing things in the community. Yep. But when you mention to them about uh, elected office, their mindset changes because they're jaded and they're disillusioned by this stuff that they see. And you understand that clearly, Richard. Yep. So right away, when you mention that, their mind turned off. But what we got to realize, and I know that some of our people do, but we have to keep stressing it, that we don't have to think like that. These people mind, uh, these people doing things, being influenced by other communities, they making their own decisions to do these things. They're not uh, being held in a basement or being persuaded, being tortured to do these. They, they're doing this stuff for their own free will. And sure, just like Jeffrey's mentioned, and maybe it was a Freudian slip about it pays dividends. You, they're still doing this willingly. If you got, and, and we've had people that have represented the community because it was the right thing to do. Some of our ancestors lost their lives because it was the right thing to do. So you got people out here now that want to speak and represent the community because it's the right thing to do. We have to cultivate those people again and start taking control of these communities. We you did. know, Elliot, Go ahead. <laughs> excuse me, you bring that up because I'm sitting here, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in, in looking for so, solutions, you know, and, and, and what you raise as far as that's one thing that I, I keep asking us to do because where you started from for us was what we have to do to organize our community, right? We have to do that. And I don't look at these other people other than what systems they have in place because they're showing us what we have to do, the systems that we have in place. And I'm not acting like that. that's something that wasn't done before or even now, as you mentioned about these young people, um, that and when you say young, you got teenagers, and I see the ones that are 30, the ones who have already made commitment of 10 years, five years, that are doing things. Yes. But they're not, we're not integrated, right? One, and we don't have, we even when we talk, we don't have our own strategic vision of what we want to achieve. And when you say integrated, you're talking about working with one another. Exactly. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's, that, that's, that's important. And as I move around, it's, it's something because you see people working in their silos and these are young people and they making commitment. How long we hear the numbers of what we have. We can't do it by ourselves with what we got. It's just not enough. Yeah. Right. And the reason I bring up the place that in, 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 in a historical context that, and I'm, you know, again, I'm dealing with that 1830s and one, one, article looking at the end of black voting in Pennsylvania. I've been dealing with the 1830s, 1837 in particular, because that's when they took away the vote. And if we don't be careful, not only are they, they we're talking about um, robots and AI, these are new tools of containment, right? I mean, these, these and, and as you said, these are tools that now it ain't going to be that you can uh, sue a, a person for, you know, um, what they do unlawfully to a citizen out of whether out of racism or whether out of their bigotry or whether out of they just, 
you know, out of their mind, you know, culturally out of their mind. Because white people, I mean, white culture is out of its mind, in my mind. Yeah, it's because it just it just it does violence. But the one the thing that I wanted to share, and two things, um, as an example of that we did it before without necessarily the government, but because we had a vision of what freedom was, a strategic vision. That's a word. When you say strategic, you're talking war value. You're talking war, war from a war perspective. You know, sovereign thinking. You're talking a, really a war perspective. You, what you're going to build in order to protect yourself, not your individual self, as as what you're going to say. You know, like I, I I got something for it, right? I got something for it. What what did we get for it, right? Um, um, Representative Barron said, you know, this is what's happening in these communities. Well, electoral people, they are, they represent a community. I, don't he have poor people in this community? Don't he have uh, homeless people in this community? Don't he have um, people who have health problems? And I'm talking about the, this new person, you know, Jeffrey's in, in the position. What did they get out of it? Um, it says the growing prosperity of some black Philadelphians this is one article, the end of black voting, was not to overlook by the city lower class. Um, that, you know, it said racial tension flared in full-scale violence in Philadelphia in 1834. The chain of incidents leading up to the riot apparently laid in not only the economic competition, but social competition between African-Americans and whites who um, were members of one members of one of Philadelphia volunteer fire companies backing up the wealthiest 10th of the population controls 70% of the community. wealth. although the black community, 1830 consists consisted of only 15,000 people. I'll end with this African-American leaders continue to try to take care of their racial community by providing poor relief and education. Black relief societies provided privately operated poor relief systems in Philadelphia. The number of societies increased from more than 50 in 1832 to nearly 100 in 1837, with about 80% of black Philadelphia, of black, of 80% of Philadelphia black adults participating. Now I'm going to back up. 1830 report of the guardians of poor Philadelphians argue that only 4% of those receiving relief was black. While the ratio of our population to that city and suburbs exceeded 8%, eight and a quarter percent. Further black paupers in the almshouse, quote, did not exceed 4% of the whole. The appeal then went on to argue that the black community was taking care of itself through mutual aid societies, churches, schools, and libraries, and argued that that loyalty and service in past wars qualified blacks to enjoy the full, fully the rights of American citizenship. I don't know if I got this across clearly, Elliot, but until we create you know, when we talk about these young people out there who are not engaged in the political process because they truly and you can look at the and you can look at the numbers and even this voting, even though black people turned out in Philadelphia turned out higher for this here senator. But it was lower than two years ago. Mm-hmm. 
right? But in this period, the what they call the black, uh, the uh, bourge, the urban bourgeois intellectual, black intelligentsia, which I would say this black political class would meet that. They, out of their own wealth and and out of their own strategic vision, out of, out of their own what the future they had in mind, not what the future the government had, not what the future the president of the United States had, not what the future the Congress had, because at that point they didn't have no future for them. The future they had, they built those churches, they built those those libraries, they built those schools, they built those mutual aid societies to take care of the poor. And it was only a small proportion of them that had that wealth, that they were looking out for the general. Is that not a solution that we should be implementing today? Not what I got, what I see, what I do, what I have done, but what I have I done to liberate the black community, regardless of what they have. What have I done to do that? Therefore, what have we done? This is what they did. And because they did it successfully in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, they took the right to vote away from them. They burnt down their churches. They ha- Why? Not because, not because they were being effective. Mm-hmm. In, in integrating their vision of what they wanted to occur and bringing it to fruition, not talking about what somebody else did or did to them. Not saying they didn't say that. They wasn't dealing with that. But, I, the, but primarily they were dealing, we were dealing with what we need to put in place in order to make us a better space, not just for me, but for all of us in that moment, in that time. And that, to me, is where the solution lies, as it did in the past and has to do now. And that, I think, you can communicate to young people who are out there doing arts work, doing community organizing work, who's doing um, building garden, local gardens, who's, who's, who's doing activities educational activities with young people. I think that if you bring that message to them, because that's politics, that's our internal politics. Yep. I think they will listen to that. And by listening to that, listening to that, and by working together with that, then we will be coordinating and therefore we will be displaying power. And once we display power, because we know who is preventing us then we'll be able to select people to put in those places, just like we heard. That, that, I mean, we heard it twice. The The Jewish community said, basically, if we wanted somebody, it would be like him. And then he said, well, I'm here. Then they got a young boy in a, a mayor. Well, you come here. We're going to pay for it. You and your boys, you come here, them women. Y'all come here and y'all visit our thing. And then you go back and and then you cut you cut that noise going on talking about us. That's that's not an initiative done by the mayor and his and his boys and women and women and men. That's initiative by them. 
you, why aren't we having that initiative? Is that a solution? Is that something that we should be doing? Yeah. Is yep. that something we should be evaluating? I, I, I just, I don't mean to go off. I just, that's when you ask about solution, that's where our dialogue has to stay centered at. And that's where um, Baba Jacob Carruthers said, that's why we have to dig down in that deep well in that past and bring it up. Whether it was be about Dave Richardson and, you know, Calvin Robinson and Ed Robinson and Brother Battles and, you know, all the various other um, before, you know, Cecil, uh, Cecil Moore. Dig down in that well, bring that up in our communities. And you can name in your communities who those individuals are. But if you ain't paying no attention, if you're talking about what they're doing, if you're looking at what they're doing, then you're going to get what they want you to get, which is nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the uncomfortable conversation. We need to have that uncomfortable conversation with one another. That's where it's going to make a difference. Let's take a let's go to this last call. Three four seven. Three four seven. Yeah, what's happening, um, Richard and Elliot? Let me, let me ask you a quick question because I notice every time we talk about politics, it seems to me it's always centered around what black people going to do for Jews. <laughs> it, just, it, it, it just seems to me that. Wait a minute. Jeffrey, Say that again. When, when we talk, when we me, when we talk about politics, it always centers around what black people gonna about, do for Jews. Yeah, when we talk about politics, the beginning of most statements about political figures is their relationship with Jews. It seems like you spoke this evening about Jeffries and what he's going to well, do for the Jews. Well, is that true and or is that just an reality, a, a, a assertion? Yeah, well, that, that was assertion is based on in your opening statement, and you could run the tape. When you mentioned Jeffries, you mentioned the Jews within that opening conversation in dealing with them. I mean, anybody who knows Jeffries will tell you that his allegiance is more to Jews than it is to black folks. Just like when people say things about his uncle, I mean, you know, if if you've been around Jeffries for a long period of time, like I have myself, I mean, there's certain things that Jeffries is strong about, and there's certain things that Jeffries ain't strong about. So what he's so-called Afrocentric and all that. Give you a perfect example. Before you do, I just want to make one correction. Because, and, and it might be when you came in, and it's for really the rest of the listening audience who may have also came in. Um, the first person that... Um, Elliot opened with was Charles Barron. Um, and that, and it was not in that. There was no discussion about Jews. That I would say that was the first 40, 45 minutes. I just want to bring that to the table because you're I heard Jeffries 
I heard Jeffrey's name. I know. I understand. I, Jeffrey, I understand. When you came in, you may have heard. Okay, just, so, so the, point first, is, the point the is, Charles Barron, Charles Barron to tell you straight up in regards to Jeffrey's that Jeffrey's a joke. But, that that Jeffrey, the but the point, always, we wasn't talking about Jeffrey. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point to you. If you listen and stop trying to defend I'm what just trying to make sure that you make you reinforce what actually happened. But you came in, you got to what they gonna do for the kill. But you came in. You don't give a damn about black people. You came in saying that that was man. I understand what you're saying. You're not listening, as always. The point of the matter is. Every time that you speak about a black politician, it always has to do. That's not true. That's all I'm saying. It is true. You've done it with Warnock. You've done it with Warnock. You said that Warnock came out and said that. He support the Jews. Wait a minute. I didn't say that Warnock said no, it. No, no, no. I read I'm you direct quotes. You said that. I'm not saying tonight. You've said it in the past. No, no, no. Said Warnock it said it. Warnock said it. I read you direct quotes. I, Sometimes I play clips. See, wait a minute. See, what, wait a minute. Hold it. Hold it. I don't get on here and just be a legend that these people. Hey, let me finish. Well, I ain't trying to defend because I don't care what they do. We need to do something about what no, they're doing. You don't care about what they do. You Listen. know why you care about what they do? Because you're constantly trying to equate what they do in regards to their so-called support of the Jews. What do you mean and so-called Jews don't support? Give a damn about black folks. What do you mean so-called support? Defend- what do you, what do you mean so-called folks. support of Jews? Their so-called Excuse support. So, so what you're saying to me did is... You listen to me, what he said to the, did you listen to what Jeffrey said to that Jewish coalition when I played the seven minutes of that clip and how he was detailed about what they were doing? That wasn't so-called support. That was not so-called support. I don't know what but, Jeffries but you've been point. around and what Jeffries you've been listening to, but he gave details on what he is doing, not what he intends to do or what he's trying to do that's been okay. been blocked. Okay, so, so declare what I'm trying to say to you is the clear fact of the matter is the man going to do what he going to do for Jews, and he ain't going to do a damn thing for black Then what you, what you going to do about it as a New York is. resident? What you going to do about it as a New York resident? I don't give a damn. Oh, okay. Well, all right. And I'll okay. tell you. You, you don't have a solution. I'll tell you why I feel that you way. You don't have a solution. I'll tell you why I feel that way. If you let me finish. The fact of the matter is. That you talking about you. You talking about that's, a, that's what the fact of the matter is. You come in saying, well, what, why do you constantly talk about them? And here you going to go on who. Don't ain't gonna do nothing else. But all you got to talk about reinforcing what you saying. We shouldn't be reinforcing. You ain't coming because the ending when you came in, the ending was about what we need to do. You ain't build on that. You went back. You went back to what you saying we started with. And let me then ask you something, Richard. Richard, let me ask you this question. We started. Let me let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. What is black people and Jeffrey's gonna Jeffrey's community 
could do about his loyalty to Jewish people. You in New York. That the time, can I just finish, please? You won't even let me finish this statement. What is there is is there something that you don't want to be answered? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let him finish his statement, Richard. Go ahead, make your statement. What were you saying? What were you saying? The reality is he's been in office for 12 years and his community is no better. But we're concerned about his allegiance to a Jew instead of figuring out how do we collectively get rid of the clown. But we'll talk about him. We'll say that he's not doing this and that. But those same Negroes will go out there and vote for him. And then you go ask me, well, what am I going to do about him? Uh, I mean, you, you know what you I mean? Jeffy's, listen, listen. Jeffy's been in office for all of this time. And Jeffy's hasn't done nothing for the community. Are you in New York? I live in New York, brother. Right. I live in Charlie. Let me explain <laughs> something to you. I lived in Charlie Rango's district, and Charlie Rango gave black people away their businesses with the Harlem Zone. You know what I mean? So listen, man, I done seen it. I live in Harlem, brother. I don't live in Brooklyn. The ownership in Harlem is at the lowest that it's been in the last 50 years. And I'm a homeowner, bro. Black businesses. Black businesses in Harlem is at its lowest ebb. Well, so look, when look. you start talking about what people are going to do, this is the thing that we don't understand. Black people don't want to be against the vision that niggas like Charlie Rangel and Jeffries have because they want to be integrated into whiteness. No, that's not they true. They feel like they want to be a part of whiteness. So all this so-called revolutionary talk that y'all talk and this fantasy about if we come together and we do this and we do that, bullshit. Because ain't nothing going to get better. You know what? Then what are you doing? Then what are you doing? We don't have a vision for it to get better, and we accept people like Jeffries. We allow people like Jeffries to be in this so-called great position as the Speaker of the House, not knowing that he's strictly about big business. He's not about black people. Well, then you have to let me say this. You have to, you, you have to do what you can to alert the people on what he's doing or not doing. Because if you listen now, some of our people don't even listen to talk radio. Their whole day is listening to power 99 or whatever stations all the time, listening to old school hip hop or whatever. And those people ain't going to talk about nothing on there. That's a segment of our people. Some of them listen to talk programs where they talk about issues. And a percentage of them listen to black talk. So if you listen to black talk and want to hear about issues, all you hear about them doing is waving pom-poms in reference to Jeffries or any of them. They don't talk about 
what they're not doing. They don't talk about them having allegiance to other communities. Those clips that you heard me play, will you will you hear them on played on Al Sharpton? That's a question. Will you hear them played on Roland Martin? That's a question. The answer is no. I'll say that right now, unequivocally, no. So a lot of our people don't have the information. It's not like our people want to be some type of abused wife that want to get beat on by their husband. Our people don't have the information. And they figure that these people are in their corners because they don't know what they're doing. So the key is to alert the community, spread the information on what's not being done. You'll be surprised what our people to do when their back's against the walls. Talking about our people ain't going to never do nothing. Then what, what, I mean, what is your existence here? going to be in this situation till the end of our existence. Yeah, well, good. That, 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 that's, that's the end of this call. That's the end of this call. Come on, man. Listen, I don't want to cut you off. I just want you to just say good night. <laughs> well, brother, all I can say to you is this. The problem is people like Jeffries, but the bigger problem is we don't have nothing in place to check people like Jeffries so that we can't even let the world know that Jeffries is going to do nothing but sell black people out every chance he gets. All right. Thanks for your contribution, bro. Richard, there's plenty of things in place. A lot of it depends on what you said about being organized. But there's plenty of information vehicles in place now, and especially with the advent of this Internet. Right. The information can uh, be brought out there. Some people don't spend time talking about it. They want to talk about other things. There's nothing wrong with that to a certain degree. But don't come on any of these things. And I'm not talking about our last caller. I'm just saying this in general. Don't come on any of these stations. I, I just heard over the weekend the Black Talk station here in Philadelphia. That's all he was doing was all type of accolades and waving pom-poms in reference to Jeffries. And I'm not picking on Jeffries per se because any of these guys, you you see this mayor down there in Durham, they they trying to cultivate him. You don't even know his name. I didn't know it until I read the article. So if they didn't think it was a danger to what black people can do, then why do they keep doing this, Richard? That's a question. Mm-hmm. Why do they keep doing this? Why do they make sure that they catch these young minds right in the beginning so they can take them to Israel, take them meet the Knesset, take them around to all these Jewish sites? What are they doing that for? If they didn't fear you, then they wouldn't be doing that. They wouldn't care what you do. You know, the caller that we just talked to always, you know, he used to get on here and talk about Latino or Bob Louis, whatever comment that he made. How many, quote unquote, Bob Louis do they take always over to Israel? For what? They're supposed to be the key factor. They don't take those people all over the world, showing them all kinds of sites and trying to get to, They don't. It's you. Why are they doing that to you, Richard? Why? Mm. If we ain't going to never get nothing right and we're going to always be in this situation, they even know better than that. It's you that don't know better than that. They even know that you ain't going to always be in this situation. They know it. So they do all they can to try to keep you in the situation. Well, we don't have to stay in that situation. We can do better. The vehicle is here. All we got to do is get in the car and drive. 
if I sit in the house and keep looking at the car, just sitting there on the, on the side of the street, or on the street parked, then sure, I'm not going anywhere until I get in the car and drive. Mm. I like that one. It's, like plenty, that. it's plenty of young minds out there that's ready to get on the move. Provide them with the information. Some of them don't know the things. Some of them don't even know the things that you talked about earlier, Richard. They don't know. See, that's why history is key, man. And then with some of our people, when you start talking about history, oh, I don't want to hear all that stuff from back then. Then you don't know what you need to do. You don't know where you need to go. You don't need, you don't know who your enemies are. You don't know why. When you get a historical perspective of your, your, your situation, what your ancestors have tried to do since they have been here, what they were trying to accomplish, then you know what you can do moving forward. Because you see their mistakes. You see what they did. You can't have young people looking at you for guidance. And then your only thing is, well, we can always be in this situation. We ain't going. That's why some of these, uh, some of these young people, a small percentage of them, that's what they doing. All this foolishness out here, walking up to older people, blowing their head off and all that stuff. Yeah, because they don't see no future. Is that what you want? Does any of us want that? Richard, do you think they see a future when they're doing all this type of stuff out there? No. Because they don't see no future. They hear an older person talking like, and they consider uh, uh, the brother that was just one an older person. They hear an older person talking like that. Oh, you're going to always be in this situation. Ain't no, ain't no, ain't no win for you. So what they say, what the hell? I might as well go for broke. And I'm being venues where they be saying, you know, y'all have failed us. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, that accusation is there that we failed them. So what do you think that they if 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 that man was in a situation where he said that stuff to a public audience with young people? What, what, I mean, what are you kidding me? Spend some time because the, 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 the caller is a good call, and I, I love his opinion sometimes. But, you know, he spends a lot of time listening to Martin and those other ones. Get on there and tell them what they need to do because you ain't going to hear Martin say nothing about these people. In fact, I think Martin, just like you heard Jeffrey say, that it paid dividends to him, I think he done got paid some dividends in the past. Now he got a new book out. He got a book out. I well, know. I ain't even talking about the book necessarily. Mm-hmm. I remember when he got up there doing all that buck dancing with Hillary Clinton and all. He might have got paid some dividends in the past. Spend some time and admonish them. Get on there and tell them, hey, listen, you need to be bringing this stuff out, but what these people are not doing. You've got a bigger audience. He got a hell of more of an audience than I do, and Sharpton got an even bigger audience, and he got a TV program. You ain't going to hear nothing about this on any of those programs. Spend some time talking to them about it. then maybe you'd be accomplishing something. Because all of us are in this together. You might think that you're not. We're all in this together. Listen, before I leave tonight, just want to get the line up on time for an awakening media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. 
acres of di- uh, excuse me, African perspectives with Brother Oshi always interesting topics and dialogues on African perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, eleven a.m. to one p.m. on Tuesday. Look forward to the return of Doctor William Rogers. That's from eight to ten. Black Reality Think Tank. Good to have him back in the saddle, and he'll be here on Tuesday evening from eight to ten p.m. on Thursday. Brother Patrick Lumumba of Mississippi on the move, Black Liberation Movement down in Mississippi. That's from 7 to 8 on Fridays. Time for Awakening is back from 8 until and Saturdays from 7 to 9, the elders of Sankofa. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. Driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing after school. They seem to be.
Children. To save the children. 